Lord Jesus Christ, you are the ascended Son of God. You are the man who walked among us and now sits upon the throne. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today, that you might open up the scriptures to us, that we might learn from you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, as you've no doubt picked up, today is Ascension Sunday. It's one of the three major feasts that concludes the long season of Easter. And for many of you in the room, this is the first time that you've perhaps been at a church that celebrates Ascension Sunday, uh, and then Pentecost Sunday next, next week, and then after that, Trinity Sunday. And what we celebrate the, this day is that after clothing himself in humanity and fulfilling God's expectations of goodness and righteousness, after submitting himself to the humiliation of the cross and defeating the powers of sin and Satan, after rising to life again, proving his divinity, proving his victory, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, then ascended into heaven and is seated right now upon the throne in heaven. The story from Ascension uh, we read in our readings today when Jesus takes the disciples out to the edge of town and he ascends, that is, he's lifted up into heaven, into the sky until none can see him any longer. He's taken up into heaven. So my question for us is, why does this matter? Like, this is kind of a, a strange doctrine, is it not? Like, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. We don't necessarily talk about it very much in our day-to-day -day conversations, do we? Is this just a, a convenient way in which the early church now explains why Jesus is no longer walking around this earth? We, we can't go to Jerusalem and knock on his door anymore? Or let me ask this question a different way. This has been a really hard week for a couple of you uh, in our congregation. Uh, one person in our congregation just underwent surgery to remove some life-threatening cancer. You submitted yourself to anesthesia, uh, anesthesia and the scalpel, and surgery is always scary to go under, but especially when you're unsure if the effects of it are actually going to be successful. And I'm happy that in your case it, it was successful. And then others of you here live in a very broken neighborhood, and you're trying to reflect Christ to those who are in your neighborhood, and you've, you've befriended a, a woman of the night who lives around the corner from you, and, and this week you've been pleading with her, begging her to leave this lifestyle, to leave her situation, and you offered to take her out to a shelter, to show her a place of healing and restoration, and, and after much attempts to persuade her, she decided to, to go back. Um, she buckled under the fear of what her boss would do. So what does the ascension mean in those kinds of circumstances? And the many others that are probably represented in this room that I know nothing about, what does the ascension mean to every single one of us in the room right now? What does it mean that a Jewish woodworker turned spiritual teacher was now lifted up into the sky? Well, the early church seemed to think that this doctrine, that this event, that the fact that Jesus Christ is seated upon the throne in heaven actually means a lot. They talk about it a lot. Page after page, book after book, throughout the New Testament, we're reminded of this beautiful ascension constantly. So there are several reasons why I think this matters to us today, and I'd like to walk us through some of those things uh, in my message today. So Father Meeks, writing on a website, I think it's the North American Anglican, he refers to the ascension as the incarnation continuing, 
The incarnation continues, he says, through the ascension. So just as Advent, in Advent we marvel that God would humble himself into the form of a baby and be among us, so now in the ascension we marvel that humanity now exists in the heavenly realms. Perhaps in the same way Mary, the mother of God, wondered and marveled as she held baby Jesus in her arms. I wondered, did the archangels and the beasts of heaven marvel as they saw flesh and blood step into the heavenly courts? Were they totally amazed when they saw Jesus the man step into their midst? You see, Jesus Christ did not merely come down to earth to slum it up with us for about 30 years or so, and then eventually go to to shed his skin, to, to shake off the dust of human clay, and then return back to his ivory palaces. No, the Lord Jesus descended in order descended to earth in order to gather us up with him, in order to, to take our nature upon himself, and then to ascend into heaven, to bring our presence into the presence of God himself. In other words, Jesus Christ goes before us. Jesus Christ goes before us. So I'd like, uh, well, I'd, I'd like to share um, a section of a poem with you. Uh, hear, hear the poem from, um, uh, uh, from Frederick Farrar is his name. O Saul, it shall be a face like my face that receives thee. A man like, or a man like to me thou shalt love and be loved by forever. A hand like this hand shall open the gate to new life to thee. I love that line. A hand like this hand shall open up the gate to new life. So I'm going to invite you to do something goofy. Hold your hands out in front of you. Look at your hands right now. Kids, you too. Hands like these hands, like your hands, exist in heaven right now. Hands like these will open up the gates of heaven and welcome you in. Hands like these in the heavenlies will wrap around you and embrace you and welcome you into the heavenly realms. You see, friends, Jesus goes before us. He goes before us. And he guarantees that that people like us are going to have a place there with him. In the book of Acts, in chapter 7, so just a a few chapters after the one that we read, we hear a story of the first deacon of the church, St. Stephen. And he he enrages the Jewish leaders of his day by proclaiming with boldness the good news of Jesus Christ. He, He tells the story again of Jesus. And the reaction of the religious leaders is to pick up stones and to stone him to death. And they kill him. They kill Stephen. And as he's dying, St. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazes into heaven. He has this vision of Jesus Christ, and he says this. He says, behold, I see the heavens opened up right now. The Son of God is seated, at the, or the Son of Man is at the right hand of God. So how comforting is that? How comforting is it for for those of you who might uh, have had experiences of being on death's doorstep to know that the Son of Man is seated at the right hand of the Son uh, at the right hand of God, in His moment of death, as stones pelted His body, Stephen sees the God Man standing in heaven, ready to embrace Him, ready to to welcome Him with human hands. So the first point is this: that Jesus goes before you. 
So I'm not sure if it's wise to confess this to my congregation. Hopefully you won't judge me too much for this. But I almost did not get accepted into seminary. I don't know if I've shared this with many of you before. Please don't judge me. Uh, But I applied to Beeson Divinity School. It's in Birmingham, Alabama. Great school. Highly recommend it. But after the admissions committee reviewed my application, one of the professors wanted to talk with me. I wanted to have a little chat with with, a little... uh, Applicant Rick. And I remember the Reverend Dr. Lyle Dorset looking me in the eye. Does anyone here know Lyle? Oh, yeah, a couple of you guys know Lyle. Great. So Lyle looked me in the eye and he said, Rick, your undergraduate Latin scores were terrible. Uh, They were very bad. Um, He said the other faculty had serious questions about whether or not you have what it takes to study Greek and Hebrew in a proficient way. Now, Father Lyle was correct. Um, in undergrad, I much preferred playing frisbee than going to Latin class. Uh, bad decisions. Those of you who are college students, um, don't play frisbee. Go, go to school. Go to school. Um, and I heard uh, Father Lyle's words, and I was just struck with dread because I didn't know how the rest of the story would go. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't get in. Like, this is going to be terrible. So I actually know know Dr. Dorset fairly well. He was one of my professors in undergrad. I took almost every single class that he had offered. Um, And the reason why I wanted to go to Beeson is because he had transferred from my my college uh, to Alabama to teach at Beeson. And he was also the priest at the Anglican church that I attended in college. So Father Lyle was a mentor, a friend, a spiritual father of mine. uh, And I chose Beeson to sit under his mentorship. So thankfully, Lyle also said to me, Rick, I went to bat for you. I told the committee that I can vouch for your work ethic and that I know that you will do whatever it takes to succeed here uh, in seminary. And that admissions committee, they're much like a court, you know? Like they, they, were, they were making a judgment, right? And Lyle convinced them. He convinced the court to look past my shortcomings which I hope all of you do as well, please, (laughs) and to accept me. So in other words, Father Lyle was my advocate in that moment. So I wonder how many of you have been in a situation like that where perhaps you've you've sat uh, with a panel in front of you and, and these individuals are judging you or maybe interviewing you, right? And maybe they were calling into question things like your character or your competency, but somebody came to your rescue. That's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Out of his abundant love of us, as someone who who knows us completely, he is an advocate for you and for me. So the Bible is very clear that, that we all, all of us humans, have a serious sin problem. You see, our problems go, are much more severe than simply um, skipping out on Latin uh, two-thirds of the time. Uh, our problems are much more severe than that because the Bible tells us quite clearly that no one of our own strength deserves to go into heaven. None of us can try to convince Jesus to let us into heaven because we don't have the merits. We don't have the scores, the grades, the character, the whatever to be able to make it into heaven on our own. We bring nothing to the table. It's much worse than getting bad grades. You see, the story of Christianity is that every human being, every single one of us, is waging a rebellion against God, our creator. And yet, while we were still rebels, the creator stepped into his creation. 
He took on our nature upon himself. He bore the, the expectations of the Father with, with complete victory. He never buckled to the temptations of sin. And now, as he, after he defeated death and ascended into heaven, he now sits in those heavenly places. He sits in the courtrooms of heaven as our advocate, as an advocate for all of us. So hear the word of God. Like I said, the, the scriptures love to talk about Jesus sitting at the right hand. Listen to this. So the author of Hebrews says this. Hallelujah. <laughs> the author of Hebrews says this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. We have a high priest, not an earthly priest, a high priest, the son of God. And then the apostle John says this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And then Paul says this to, the, to his congregation in Rome. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God. And listen to this. Jesus Christ is the one who indeed is interceding for us. So brothers and sisters, when the devil comes against you in the, in the darkness of night or in the boldness of day sometimes, he comes against you and he accuses you and he reminds you of, of all the sin that you've done in your life. When he comes and, and drags up the past against you to try to, to consume you with guilt, um, to try to overwhelm you. Or when friends bring up an, uh, old, old patterns that you used to walk in. You know, as you hear these words from those who used to hate you, when he repeats those tapes of worthlessness, inadequacy, and failure, know that you have an advocate in heaven itself, no less. This is Jesus Christ who loves you and who defends you. Heaven is on your side. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ goes before you, and Jesus is your advocate. So I've been reading a lot of this, this author, um, Paul Kingsnorth, recently, and he just had an article in First Things. I linked to it in our newsletter uh, this last week. I strongly encourage it to you. It's called The Cross and the Machine. But Paul Kingsnorth, he is a, a philosopher, uh, an environmentalist, if that's your thing. Uh, he's a novelist, and he recently told this story of his conversion in, in First Things. So over the course of his life, he went from being a, a militant atheist to then a, a Zen Buddhist, and then eventually he landed in, in paganism. Uh, he, he felt like, especially as an environmentalist, that really resonated with his values and whatnot. And he says this, he says, I ended up a priest of the witch gods. Isn't that chilling? And he said, my coven used to do its rituals in the woods under the full moon. It was fun and it made things happen, he says. And it made me think of here, living in Minneapolis, where I, don't, I haven't said this in a while, but did you know there's over 200 Wiccan covens here in the Twin Cities? They're all over the place. They're all over the place. So uh, Paul doesn't share a ton here, but he says rather chillingly, he says, I discovered in those rituals that magic is real and it works. And he says, I made my home in my pagan religion. And he says, everything in my life just seemed to fall in place for me. He was, he was content here. He was happy here. But then Mr. Kingsnorth started to have some dreams. He said, one night, I had an extremely real and vivid dream that Jesus came and spoke to me. 
And then after waking up, he, he recorded the words that Jesus wrote. He doesn't share it in his article. I kind of get the impression that it must have been very personal and striking to him, and he's not yet quite ready to share that with the public. But he also sketched a, a drawing of what Jesus looked like. It was that vivid. It was that real. And then he says the weirdest thing started to happen. People that he knew and, and, and people who he didn't necessarily was, was super familiar with started to talk to him about Jesus all the time. And, he, and he, he was super annoyed by this. He said that he had these dear friends that he had known for years and years, and then he comes to find out that they've actually been Christian the whole time, and all of a sudden they want to talk to him about Jesus. He was very annoyed by this. Quite randomly, he received a Facebook message from a gentleman in Africa who said, if you want to know God, you need to read the book that he wrote. And guess what? You know it already. It's the book of nature. Now, for someone who had been worshiping in, in the midst of creation, to hear that creation can actually direct to a creator was quite jostling for Paul. And so then I, I just have to read this, what Paul says. He, he phrases it so um, elegantly here. He says, it kept happening for months. Christ was to the left of me. Christ was to the right of me. And it was unnerving. I turned away again and again, but every time I looked back, he was still there. I began to feel as though I was haunted. Now, let me also remind you, he, he wrote these words just a few months ago. This is a new event. This isn't something that happened years and years ago. This happened in, in 2020, I think. And he says, I wanted this to stop. At least I thought I did. I had no interest in Christianity. I was a witch, a Zen witch, in fact, which I thought sounded pretty dang edgy. He said, but I knew who was after me, and I knew it wasn't over. And so finally, he describes this other experience, and I'll let you read it for yourself, where he feels as if he was completely overwhelmed by the presence of Christ. He describes being in a room um, full of people where he just felt as if he could empathize with them, with all of them, and he, he knew them and saw them as, as people loved by God. He was surrounded by the love of Christ in that moment. And so he says, I didn't become, oh, and that's when he surrendered his life to Christ. <laughs> that's, that's an important detail. But he said, I didn't become a Christian because I argued myself into it. This wasn't a, an intellectual endeavor for him, although that part is surely a part of it, but that wasn't the primary drive for him. He says, I became a Christian because I knew suddenly that it was true and someone else inhabits me. So why do I tell that story to you today? Someone else inhabits me, Paul says. What does this have to do with the ascension of Jesus Christ? Well, friends, it's because Jesus Christ is still alive today. He didn't die and disappear and go and, and just peace out for a while. He's not sitting around in heaven just twiddling his thumbs. He is alive today. He is still at work today, and he ministers among us. That's why he, he went up to heaven. So before he ascended into heaven, Jesus says something super strange in, in John's gospel. He says, it's actually better for me to go up into heaven and leave you than it is for me to remain here. Isn't that a weird thing to say? He says, I'm going to depart so that the Father can pour out the Spirit upon you. You see, friends, that is what's key to the ascension. Is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus Christ is brought to all of us is experienced by all of us. Jesus ministers to us because he has ascended into heaven. He is the shepherd evangelist who seeks and saves the lost. He is the comforter who places his hand upon you as you're crying alone in the bathroom. 
He's your counselor who speaks to you through the words of the scripture and through the voice of a friend and through the gentle nudges in your heart. He is that profound savior who speaks and ministers and to us all and loves all of us. Now, does that mean that all of us are going to have these remarkable supernatural experiences in our lives? No, that's not necessarily what I'm trying to say. But I do want us to be quick to share the stories of when those things do happen. To share them with your life groups or or when we're flying kites outside or, or as we're encouraging one another. And we should also be quick to identify the Lord Jesus moving in one another's lives. To hear someone or an insight, a spiritual insight that they have and say, that's the Lord speaking to you right now. Jesus is ministering in your life. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, can, I have these moments in my life where my head is just so far in the sand that I miss the work of Jesus Christ around me. And I need you, my sisters and my brothers, to, to point out things in my life and say, Rick, I, I think that's the Spirit of Christ talking to you right now. So may we do that with one another, right? May we be that kind of community who expects to encounter the risen Christ in our day-to-day lives. He is the God-man who goes before us, ascending into heaven, preparing a place for us. He is the risen Christ who advocates for us, our high priest who knocks down the challenges of the devil. And now he is the one, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who goes forth into all corners of this earth, ministering among us. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you. You amaze us, Lord Christ. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us alone, but sending your spirit into our midst and ministering among us. Lord, give us eyes to see you at work among us. May we see you in our broken neighborhoods and as we undergo fearful things, Lord. May you continue to defend us from the attacks of the evil one. And Lord, invite us into the work that you are doing, if it is your will, Lord. Invite us in to participation with you. May we, your church, be your hands and feet to those whose lives are closely linked with ours. We ask this, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen.